Okay. Yeah. I think I'm recording now. Stay safe, stay sane. It was the 25th of March this year that we posted the first in this series of Stay Safe, Stay Sane. And in the two months since, we've been talking at a safe distance to many people from all over the world, getting their perspective on the effects of this coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic. I'm Mark Quinn, and in this episode, we hear from Dr. Kevin Murphy, who's a psychotherapist, and he'll give us a perspective on the long-term psychological effects of the pandemic. We'll also revisit Brazil, where the first confirmed case of COVID-19, would you believe, was as recent as the 25th of February. But now the country has the highest number of cases in the world after the United States and Russia. Now, as we all know, New York is the worst hit city in the world. And even with numbers of cases slowly dropping, the lockdown easing there will be gradual. With her husband, Gary, Jolie Aloni runs Thompson Chemists in Soho, Lower Manhattan. When we caught up, Jolie was reflecting on how quickly the virus took hold in the city. My husband had to get surgery on February 25th. He had to get a pacemaker. We were at Mount Sinai Hospital and they had the TVs on as we were waiting in the waiting room. And the big conversation was all about Harvey Weinstein and if he was going to jail or not going to jail. And they mentioned maybe one thing of COVID, maybe, you know, but there was no big talk about it. Doctors weren't talking about it. Following week, we went on our another uh, appointment just to check. And when we were checking there, they were like, oh, be careful, be safe, you know. That was it. But there was no talk about masks and all of the, you know, everything they were going through since March 14th. No talk about lockdown. And we were in the Mount Sinai premises at the time, which is like one of the biggest hospitals in the city for the COVID-19. And so it just strikes, it's kind of amazing to think that from February 25th to March 14th, that life could change so badly. And then from March 14th until, you know, March 28th, March 30th, April 1st, (laughs) May 1st, you know, to be closed. And, you know, we sell vitamins and many beauty products in our store. So for us to stand there and discuss which Charmin is better, it's kind of weird. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) and is new york an epicenter because of the close proximity that people live together and work together or or why what's the reason all of the above new york new york everybody's close to each other apartments are small i mean some apartments are big but for the most part you know if you're going to a train you're never going to stand six feet apart from somebody in the train it's not going to happen people are all over each other and you're saying people are getting a little bit agitated now with with this yeah and how is very, that, very agitated. And how is that uh, expressing itself? Um, people just seem uh, a little hostile. <laughs> a little hostile. They, they want to go outside. They want to go get a cup of coffee. They want to sit in a restaurant. You know, they want to talk to their friends. We're over the worst, but it's still bad. I mean, you know, there's still nobody really out in the streets yet. Nothing's really, really totally open. It's been going on since March 14th, so people are starting to get very, very antsy. A lot of people don't want to wear their masks. (laughs) I imagine uh, New Yorkers are quite resilient, though, having gone through 9-11 and so forth. They are. I mean, it takes, you know, you go all the way down and it takes a long time to come back up. Uh, 9-11 was absolutely horrific because we lost so many lives. 
unnecessarily the way that, you know, I'm flying in the air. I mean, it was horrible. Um, this is something that I never thought, thought that we would see in our day. You know, <laughs> who could think that, you know, the whole world would be on a lockdown and businesses shut and kids can't go to school. It's like, and the economy is going to zero. It's really scary. From New York City, that's Jolie Aloni. Dr. Kevin Murphy is a psychoanalytical psychotherapist with a practice in Dublin specializing in the area of sexuality. During the lockdown period, he's still been providing counseling for his clients over the internet. One of the areas he works in one morning a week on a voluntary basis is with imprisoned sex offenders. The 13 prisons in Ireland were quick to react to the coronavirus pandemic, with all visits being stopped at the end of March. Up until the lockdown, he was attending a prison in Dublin and providing counselling to augment the existing prison psychological services. I work with men, let's say, over a long, as long as they wish to work, but it can be over years, and it goes into quite detail and quite quite a lot of depth in terms of their, let's say, their psychological health and their um, and the issues which impinge on that. And I suppose now that those services, your services anyway, have been uh, ceased because of the, the, the pandemic. Yeah, that's going to add another layer of stress for those in an already stressful situation anyway, isn't it? Yeah, we. I mean, you know, all the other activities that would make up the average day, such as the school, the the workshops, the creative classes and so on, even school, you know, because the education system uh, is provided within the prison where they can do junior cert or leaving cert or uh, open university, you know, so that's that will all have closed. So, yeah, there will be now uh, very little to um, keep people you know, distracted. Um, but I imagine given the, I mean, the efficiency with which the prison service has reacted to all of this, you know, there, I imagine that, you know, the focus will be on getting routines in place, uh, getting activity with social distancing in mind, but, you know, cleaning, um, making sure everything is disinfected, keeping people safe, and that there will be a lot of, you know, emphasis on keeping people focused on what is essentially, I suppose, a common enemy in the form of the coronavirus. So it'll have a, I expect it'll probably have a, a curiously unifying effect within the prison between the staff and the, uh, and the, um, the prisoners themselves. Yeah, stressful for staff as well, of course, uh, as well it as is. The prisoners. Yeah, and of course, you see, there the interaction between the outside world. The only way it can get in is from people who are interacting with the outside world, and the only people doing that are the staff. So, you know, in, in an ironic twist, I presume staff now are kind of held in suspicion more than, you know, the, the, the prisoners themselves. Yeah. So I'm just thinking only this morning about the undoubted stress for people who have uh, relatives with special needs, those with increasing financial stress. I mean, what do you feel, uh, in, given your profession, what do you feel is going to be the psychological effect on all of us uh, through this? Well, I think it's it's a great burden on everybody. For those who've had people affected by this, it's particularly so. For those people who have lost loved ones, you know, they can't go to the funerals, the grieving process will be disrupted. That'll be a protracted, more protracted 
process than might usually be the case. Um, those of people who have older relatives who are within the vulnerable categories, it's a very uh, stressful time. Um, the whole business of interacting by leaving shopping on someone's doorstep and not going in, you know, that's hard for any family. Much like any difficult challenge that you have to get through, it's only when you come out the other side that the, let's say, the ramifications of what you've just been through start to hit home, start to sink in. So the answer to your question will be an interesting one when we get to the end of this, because psychologically speaking, there's always an after effect if you go through something uh, traumatic. It just that's just the way we are as human beings. And I think not not to be too negative about all of this. I think there are going to be great positives. I know that's a curious thing to say. So my apologies to anyone listening who has, you know, suffered personal loss or, or otherwise. Uh, but what I'm what I'm pointing at is I think it will teach us greater resourcefulness. I think it will teach us to be satisfied with less. I think it will take our focus off, let's say, the more obsessive connection with social media. I think it will uh, allow us re-engage with the importance of talking to those in our extended networks and making those connections. And I think random acts of kindness, you know, we're seeing them all, all around the place. Look at the upsurge of positivity when you see the people clapping for the, the health services. Exactly. So how's your own sanity? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I try to uh, exercise and I try to keep a routine. I work with my clients online and on the phone. I try to keep busy uh, and trying to get good sleep. So I'm trying to do all the things Granny would have taught us to do. Dr. Kevin Murphy. Julia Rosa lives in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. When we last chatted with Julia on the 10th of April, which is only six weeks ago, the number of deaths from COVID-19 in the country was 950. And as of this recording, it stands at around 18,000. So with the president of the country, Bolsonaro, calling the worldwide pandemic a little flu, the resignation of the health minister after one month in office, and no official lockdown in place, it sounds like the situation in Brazil is more confused than ever. It's a bit strange because people haven't yet agreed on things. So like in Rio specifically, as much as there are a lot of people that are scared and just don't want to leave their houses, there are also people who are still leaving and are still seeing friends and are still like having parties and stuff like that. And I think probably because we haven't had really like a strong hand coming from the government, like lockdown or something or like stay home. Um, people just think that it's not going to get to them. So there are very mixed feelings. And I think in general in the country, like since there, it, it's the pandemic is kind of targeting different levels. There are cities that are doing fine and there are cities that are like really bad. So it's it's just not something general. It's something that's very confusing still. The governors are saying, like, we should stay in and we should wear masks and stuff. Uh, but it, it hasn't really been, like, something with a lot of power or meaning, you know? It hasn't really been that official yet. What would it take for people to realise that this is a serious problem? I don't know. I thought people would realise um, just by the number of deaths that are happening, right? But, I mean... 
since it's kind of like a political issue as well, there are a lot of people who are in denial and and are like, oh, this is this is not real. This is something like the media is pushing. So that's what makes it even more complicated, you know, because it's like we have a pandemic, but we also have like a kind of like a opinion war among people. Yes, and of course, your president uh, Bolsonaro is not really making things yeah, clear. Yeah, don't even really. get me started on him. <laughs> well, you spoke the last time about Panilasso, the uh, the ritual of people banging their pots and pans outside when he was making speeches. So, is he being blamed for the vast number of cases, or given his comments about it only being like a slight cold or flu? I mean, what do people think? I mean, are people are people taking him on board and listening to him or are they taking their own local governor's advice? So like people who really support him are really taking over what he's saying and are really standing on his side. And some people even kind of make fun of the situation. The people that are against him and people that just don't agree with him are really criticizing him, of course, because I think people are just waiting for him to take like the position of a leader and um, to try to to make this like better, right? Because it's just getting worse. Like I said, six weeks ago, I think we had like 17,000 cases and now that's already like the number of deaths and only the ones that we know about because like it's such a huge country that of course some things are going to get lost in the way um so that's the problem really i think because he's just taking assuming a position where he it's like his um how can i say his character like he has to say that this is something that's coming from outside that's that that's not the truth that people are making this up to kind of weaken him so that that's the where we're at at the moment wow crazy and as you say confusing for people as well of course very confusing <laughs> very confusing i think that's the worst part like we talk to our like human resources at work and with other people that are working from home and it's like the one information that everyone has is that no one knows when we're going to go back on track when we're going to go back to our offices when we're going to leave our houses um but i mean it's only a part of the the population that it's re- that is really staying inside there's a lot of other people that can't afford to stay inside or have to go out and have to go to the market or have to find some way to gain some money. So it's only a part of us that are like privileged enough to, to be just waiting. Everyone was kind of expecting this like to happen since Brazil is a huge country, has a lot of different realities and has issues like politically, economically, healthcare. So I think it was kind of expected. Uh, The one huge difference, I think, to these other places like Europe and the States is that they have a lot more testing of the, the COVID cases. And here in Brazil, we have a lack of that. Julia Rosa in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. This is Stay Safe, Stay Sane, Talk at a Safe Distance. Now, at the risk of this series of podcasts getting overrun with a rat epidemic, I thought I'd mention that a new film about the band The Boomtown Rats is being broadcast on BBC Two on Saturday 23rd of May at 9.20, and you will no doubt be able to see it on the player after that. Of course, you will have heard all about the band in the last episode of Stay Safe, Stay Sane. 
Billy McGrath is the producer-director of Citizens of Boomtown, which features interviews with lots of big names in the music business. I think we started filming in April, and by the end of May, we had about 27 hours of interviews, and that was all with Bob. (laughs) (laughs) I know exactly what you mean. (laughs) So so I said, Bob, will you let somebody else in? He said, okay, if you want you would go off in a huff, you know. Yeah. I know. I'm a huge, not just a music fan, but I've like I've also like a uh, I have a history degree, so I love poking and and stoking things and just finding out what's behind and and and. So I was really interested in in in, in looking at and so was Bob as well because it's it comes from that side of of what Ireland was like in the seventies. Mm-hmm. You know, so we talked to historians Roy Foster, who incidentally knew Bob's older sister. So knew Bob as a teenager, and but he had he'd have, you know a fantastic mind, and then of course you know I, I, I remember I got a, te- a text from Bob saying, uh, "Sting will talk at five o'clock on Saturday in London. Can you do it?" So I just <laughs> said yes, and there was no management, no agents. It was fantastic. It was no. No extra emails. I was just told where to go. Great. He was rehearsing with Shaggy, uh, you know, for a tour, and uh, we set up in a room. And at one minute to five, hello, my name is Sting. Hiya, you know, and sat sat down. And uh, obviously, Sinead O'Connor, who, who lives in Bray, and then Bono was 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 was, you know, was excellent for value. You know, again, I think it's not just a knowledge of the band, but I think it's also respect for what the band did, especially if you were an Irish musician. Uh, like, they opened doors for yes. so many people, and yes. they opened the doors, and they showed that you could do what you wanted to do from Ireland, and I think the testament is, is what people like Bow and obviously you kind of Hosier, that you can build your, if you want, your empire, and you can still have it in Ireland, and you can send that out to the world. So anyone watching the film will see a film that has a historical setting, if you like, as well, in terms of Ireland, where Ireland was, and then the ba- the band's journey through that. Yeah, yeah, because they they all grew up in that, and they they all wanted to escape it in a way. I, it's completely different now. I think the opening line from Bono is, "The Boomtown Rats lived in an Ireland completely different than you two. That's the opening sentence. Mm. And it's very, very true. But it also, uh, the, the, my favourite scene is actually from New York. But it was very clear that this, the new wave scene in New York was dominated by heroin, where the punk scene in Britain was probably not d- dominated, but it was all about speed and a little bit of like, like aggression and, and, and drink, you know. Mm. So my, my favourite scene is about a two and a half minutes where we explore that that scene with Blondie and Talking Heads and Ramones and New York Dolls. And I love stories about bands. And I think hopefully we kind of grasp a little bit of the intelligence and the musicianship and the artistry of the other members of the band as well. Billy McGrath of Sideline Productions, who produced Citizens of Boomtown, which is on BBC Two on Saturday 23rd of May at 9.20 and afterwards on the BBC iPlayer. Well, that just about winds things up for this episode and this series of Stay Safe, Stay Sane. We're going to regroup and be back with more for you soon. If you enjoyed this series, just give us a like on SoundCloud or on Twitter or Instagram or drop us a few words by email. The address is coming up at the end. There'll be some periodic interviews that didn't make the series on our feed, so watch out for them. 
My thanks, as always, to Pat Hannon, our series producer, and to you for listening. Until next time, stay safe and stay sane. If you have a story to tell and would like to share it with us, then send it to us. Our email address is staysafestaysane at gmail.com. That's staysafestaysane, all one word, at gmail.com. You can also connect with us via our Instagram and Facebook pages at Stay Safe, Stay Sane or on Twitter at Stay Safe IRL. Stay Safe, Stay Sane is a Highwire 21st Century Vox production. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane.